0: Expedition forty four here again with Matt and Ryan. We are on a series on the church and we started in Revelations. This is our third part in the series and it's entitled Smyrna. Catch us up a little, Matt.
1: Yeah, so that the first week we just kinda of did an overview of the church, went through a little bit of the kind of the ways that we look at the book of Revelation, especially those churches, and why we uh, take them as seven actual churches in the first century yep. in Asia Minor. Uh, for the second episode, we looked at the church in Ephesus, who um, really, the, the big thing that Jesus um, had against them was, even though they were doing all these good things, they were discerning, They but they were very reactionary, you know, which hardened their hearts, it seemed like, towards each other. They lost the love they had at first, which is the love towards other believers, and in that, they weren't being faithful witnesses, because... Um, if you can't display the love of Jesus within your congregations, it doesn't reflect Jesus.
0: Right. So today we're we're picking up with Smyrna, and that's Revelations 2, 8 through 11. And so there's only four verses in this section. It's pretty small, yet there's a lot we're going to unpack in four small verses. So I'll start out and read that for you. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and last who is dead has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who stay, they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So, Matt, this kind of sounds a little bizarre just yeah. getting on to it. He's writing a, he's writing this letter and it just comes off weird. If I was writing a letter to the church, it would sound more like probably the New Testament
1: epistles rather yeah. than this. So We've got to remember, Revelation is an apocalyptic literature. So he's using a lot of symbols, but these symbols... Um, Connect to something that is real and tangible in their culture that they would have understood. Um, he's not just using some crazy stuff there. He, yeah. they would they would have known this, but he's he's speaking in an apocalyptic way. So. Um, So I think the first thing we need to dig into is what was the background of Smyrna. Then we'll dig into some of these images that he uses about 10 days and um, suffering and all these synagogue of Satan and all these different things. So So. this
0: might be your health and wealth prosperity church if there was one in Revelation.
1: Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) That would be later to see (laughs) um, so the background: Smyrna was one of the most prosperous cities in all of Asia Minor. So well in the first off. century, yeah, they were very. It was a very rich area, probably one of the richest areas, maybe besides Ephesus. Okay. It was extremely rich. So in 195 BC, um, Smyrna built a temple. To, was the built a temple to Roma? So Roma was the Rome's personification of herself as a goddess, yeah. um, and so it was kind of the the goddess of patriotism, yep. <laughs> I guess you could say. And it was. Um, the first temple to the Roman imperial cult was also built there. And so Smyrna was always kind of competing with um, Ephesus and Sardis for the basically the title of the most patriotic city in yeah. the empire. Yeah. Um, so, And then around 25 AD, these three cities were competing again for the honor of erecting a temple to Tiberius. And Smyrna got the honor um, because... Basically, Tiberius said that they were extremely loyal to the empire, and they were extremely patriotic.
0: (laughs) So, this is interesting because they had a very large Jewish population. And Mm -hmm. so, as we often say, this was not the Jewish empire. This was the Roman empire. And so, the Jews were allowed to continue to worship their god, but the preface was that they still looked at the Roman empire as over them or empirical or the king.
1: Yeah, so the Jews would recognize Caesar as their king, they they wouldn't worship Caesar. They had um, Caesar had allowed them to pray for him because they refused to pray to yeah. him. Um, but they, the, well, a lot of the Jews in this time were pretty. I wouldn't say they're necessarily. A lot wanted Rome overthrown. Yeah, especially in the Jerusalem area, but kind of out in the diaspora. Um, they had become a little more Hellenized, yeah.
0: And so this is traitorous, treasonous language against yeah. the emperor when it gets to this point. Yeah. So this is this is why dating is important because if mm-hmm. you put this pre 70 AD when it was written, then you're going to see. They're on the brink of war, which Mm -hmm. we know after the fact in history. If you put it later at like 90, the Jews have really been annihilated. So when I'm dating it and I go back and I spent some time on this, this is one of the reasons why the language, I would kind of say, does a better job to show the initial writing in the, you know, mid to late 60s Mm -hmm. rather than after
1: Yeah, And so the the Jews enjoyed some protection in their religion under the Roman Empire in this that um, they would pray for the emperor but not pray to the emperor and the christians were seen as a sect of judaism initially um we'll get more into that later of of what what happened and uh all this but the the jewish perspective on the christians was interesting because they didn't see them as as jews and they would often tell the romans that no these aren't jews even though it had a pretty a lot of jews had become followers of jesus And it was illegal to have a new religion in the Roman Empire. And so if they're worshipping some new god or whatever, and the Jews would often say this about the Christians, that brought about persecution. And not only that, their god was a king... That was the true king and not Caesar. And yeah. so then it was treason on top of a new religion. Yeah. And that brought a lot of persecution. And so that's some of the background of what's happening in Smyrna mm. here between the Jews and the Christians and the Romans and the Christians.
0: And there's political language going mm-hmm. on here. A lot of people are looking for a political messiah. Or, you know, there's talk about, you know, does the messiah we have, is, did he fit the bill for that or yeah. whatever. Kind of goes back to that give us Barabbas thinking yep. of the, the wanting the traitorous despot that
1: comes and overthrows all that stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've got lots of different things kind of coming into your understanding of this passage
1: Mm -hmm. um uh, another really interesting thing is that smyrna was one of two churches of the seven revelation that, that basically jesus doesn't correct yeah he doesn't bring a correction to them he actually just brings praise to this church um and so remember the idea is that the goal of these churches is to be a faithful witness as jesus was the faithful witness yeah and so this is a church that's suffering um so it seems that smyrna is living as lights within that culture between the Jews and the the religious establishment and the imperial establishment and they're being lights within there and Jesus praises them for that. Yeah. So in verse 8 we get a little bit of a description. Yeah. So that's, um, we kind of get the description of Jesus right off the bat. And remember, every description of Jesus in these, in, with all seven churches relates to something that, um, the church needs to um, resemble. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the last time with, um, with Ephesus, it was, it was the, the same way that he holds the seven stars, that Jesus is truly the king and not, the, not Caesar and not taking the mark in the Agora or any of that. So here, the first thing that Jesus says about himself is that he's the first and the last. Yeah. So first would have meant something to the Smyrnans, since they were the first to build a temple to Roma. They were the first to build a temple to Tiberius. Even on their coins, it said Smyrna, the first in Asia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they thought of themselves kind of as, as, as the first in their loyalty. Yeah. Um, and so the first language is not only a slap in the face to the imperial cult, but yeah. it's communicating that Jesus is divine and sovereign and not Roma. And it's kind of,
0: which kingdom will you serve? So, there's a lot of word plays in the scripture, and a lot, most people don't realize how many word plays mm-hmm. are in the scripture. And whenever you get one of these, it kind of theologically creates a question to us of how much do you read into this word play? Mm-hmm. Like, is this just, you know, this Rome, or this rhymed in the way that they wrote it? I don't think that's going on here. There's something to the idea that it might still be a little bit of word play of, of Smyrna, the first of. But there's significance in, in being the first, too. Mm-hmm.
1: The next thing, uh, G- how Jesus describes himself to this church is he was the one who was dead and came to life. Yeah. And so it's an important message to communicate to this church that suffering. And it shows that Jesus was vindicated in his res- resurrection and they will be too. So essentially Jesus is kind of saying, Ben, they're done that. <laughs> yeah. Another thing
0: to keep being,
1: being Christ, be Christ. Yeah, so keep mimicking Christ, be resemble Christ, imitate Christ, because... Jesus has done this he suffered and was vindicated the church in Smyrna look when they experience this They're gonna follow the pattern of Christ and they will be vindicated
0: Yeah, so what we're getting is we're kind of getting descriptions of the church here So Mm -hmm. in Ephesus the first one you have like the description of love and then the second is suffering and these are kind of Mm -hmm. We get the revelation of Christ So we're getting what it looks like to live Christ
1: like yeah And even John Stott said that if the first mark of a true and living church is to love Which is Ephesus the second is to suffer
0: and so this is backward, countercultural kingdom too, because what we have is we have Smyrna, who is one of you know a wealthy place, very rich. Mm-hmm. Yet what it looks like is the result of Christianity in this very wealthy, affluent place is exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it right in the kingdom, you're going to be suffering. Yeah, there's no
1: health or wealth gospel in Smyrna. Right. <laughs> so, so, and some have argued that uh, the word that they use here for poverty. Um, uh, is like the strongest word for that concept that they had in greek yeah so they were like not not just that they had a little bit of lack but they like had nothing right and so it's a super strong word so there's kind of some theories on on their poverty. um that, that we can get into and some have thought that maybe that they were targets of robbery yeah there's
0: um, there's another take on this is that they just they had to share everything like they didn't have enough for everybody to be in this so they shared what they had and that to the culture would have looked like they were in need
1: mm-hmm. and um it's also like if it, you go back to kind of the the agora type thinking from our last episode if you weren't loyal to the emperor no one would buy from you or sell to you um, especially if you weren't allegiant to Caesar. Uh, and this would have been seen as, like, dishonored to the Roman gods. Yeah. And, and the unbelievers in Smyrna would have been kind of superstitious, a lot of them think, and thought that, all right, well, if I buy from this guy who's not honoring the gods, then the god's wrath is going to come on me because I'm supporting them.
0: So if you're reading in between the lines, it's they're not suffering because of like natural causes of like they're they're starving or something or they like have that
1: sickness or anything like that it's
0: it's a uh, it's it's again it's backward kingdom thinking that this is actually something that they should probably count joy and that and that it's a effect of their christianity in the place that they're living
1: yeah and so jesus tells the church in smyrna as though he sees their poverty but they're actually rich, yeah. like spiritually. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, though it might look like this on the outside, it's actually the opposite. And he says the reverse of the Church of Laodicea. Right. He says, because they, so, they were rich, but he says you're actually poor. Yeah. So, so this is pretty good. You know,
0: if you guys watch our stuff, we we have I, I'm wearing a Jesus Kingdom shirt, but we have a lot of backwards Kingdom mm-hmm. stuff. And this is when we read what Jesus tells us, both in the revelation of Jesus and the New Testament mm-hmm. incomplete. We think the backward Kingdom message is really really important. And so this is basically a a church where he says to them like you're doing really well on your checkup you're living what i hold high which is backward kingdom thinking Mm -hmm. and you should be praised for that
1: yeah they're sharing what they have with one another even though it's little and they're rich spiritually they're doing the things that jesus wants them to do and that's why they're rich
0: yeah So now we get to nine, and there's kind of the latter part of nine you kind of get this idea of of Judaism, like there's there's kind of a the
1: synagogue language yeah what what's going on here so the next issue is that there's slander or blasphemy from the Jews, it seems like, and so we talked a little bit ago about kind of the Jewish mindset towards the Christians, and especially that they were hostile, and we sent this points to like a, more of a 70 a d type so the dating comes the dating in this, comes yeah, in again yeah yeah yeah
0: domitian or is, could this be applied to nero yeah, and
1: you got a little of both but it's probably better as early so the, the jews like we said were always happy to tell how the christians were some new illegal treasonous religion to the romans which subverted their empire and yeah. that would have brought persecution and so this is Slanderous, And it was nothing new. We saw this throughout Paul's ministry as well. The Jews are, but they're not. The yeah. 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 So John makes an interesting comment about the Jews. He says they say they're Jews, but they're not, like you said. Yep. And Paul addresses that a ton in his letters. Yep. Like yep. we've got in Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29, it says, "For He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor, nor circumcision is what which is outward in the flesh, that he who is a Jew is one inwardly in circumcision which is of the heart by the Spirit not by the letter and his praise is not from men but from God. Yeah. Then Romans nine, then he kind of echoes yeah. that same thing. It's not as though the word of God has failed for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel nor are they children because um, nor, nor are they all children because they are of Abraham's descendants but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is not children of the flesh who are the children of God, but children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. Yeah, in
0: Galatians 6, you get this in verses 15 and 16, and it's kind of, again, talking about the circumcision, uncircumcision, yep. and calling them in a new creation. So there's that kind of yeah. grafting language yeah. going on and again. and he
1: actually calls the uncircumcision the Israel of God, there, so, yeah. <laughs> which is mm-hmm. the Gentiles. Yep. So in John here, in his, in John's gospel makes the same thing, is that those who receive him become the children of God, yep. and it's not of your lineage, or blood, or the decision of a man, but of, but of, but of God, yeah. um, John makes the exact same connection in a very interesting way when we look further in Revelation, Revelation chapter 7. Oh, 144,000. The 144,000. So remember, in our last episode, we talked about the importance of of hearing versus seeing yeah. in Revelation. This is the Lion of Judah versus the slaughter. The, the lamb. lamb thing we talked about in the last episode. John does the same thing with the 144,000. So he hears this military census of 144,000, right. which just kind of echoes up back in numbers and mm-hmm. the conquest and all of that yeah. type of stuff. And so that's that's what he hears, and he hears this number of all these tribes and the amount in them equaling 144,000, that when he turns and looks, he sees every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping around the throne, right. which is kind of interesting in in, in there. And so... He looked and he beheld a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they were crying out in a loud voice, saying, "Salvation to our God who sits on a throne and to the Lamb." Yeah. And later in Revelation, it says that they follow the Lamb. Those hundred forty-four thousand follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Yeah. So. <laughs> so
0: true Jews worshiping the Lamb. Uh, the Lamb from the every nation.
1: nation. Yeah. So it, that is kind of connecting there. So Jesus calls those. These Jews, who are not Jews, the synagogue of Satan. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. (laughs) interesting. (laughs) There, so that kind of gets back to what we talked about in our first episode—the synagogue type language and took on the hierarchy type stuff and. And kind of went into Catholicism and all, all of that from our first episode. So if you missed that, you can go back and listen to that. But it's it's allegiance language again. I'm mm-hmm. Like who is
0: your allegiance to? Who are you? Who are you going to give your time, treasures, mm-hmm. and talents
1: to? So the slander is of the true people of God, who are the ones who are following the slaughtered lamb, who are allegiance to His kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus calls what the Jewish people in the synagogue are doing to the Smyrna church of the devil, basically. Yeah. Yep. He's saying they're a synagogue of Satan because of what they're doing. The Jews are not actually worshiping Yahweh, but they're more aligned with Satan.
0: So what we're trying to do is we're trying to read through what might be metaphorical language, mm-hmm. and allegory, things like that. We know a little bit about the, some things that are mentioned, like the 144,000, mm-hmm. things like that. We're trying to figure it out. You know, what, what What do we do with this? Where do we put it? Michael Gorman sums this up really good in reading Revelation responsibly.
1: Yeah, it's a great book, and we're going to probably go more into some of our book recommendations yes. for reading the Church in Revelation. But he, he um, mentions in this book, it's likely that some of the Jews had betrayed their own identity as God's people by colluding with those possessing economic power. So he makes in parentheses here, perhaps officials in the trade guilds, which is a network of tradespeople similar to the modern unions, or temples who also served as banks. Yeah. And he says, or colluding with Roman political officials in the persecuting of the Smyrna church. Uh, the economic impact and the potential for legal action have apparently not led any in the Smyrna church to accommodate this. The challenge is to remain fearless and faithful to trust and obey.
0: So theologically, there's a couple ways to look at this. You probably heard of replacement theology. Replacement theology is kind of where the Jews fail miserably Mm -hmm. and then somebody else needs to replace them as God's chosen people. This is not replacement theology. This would be called fulfillment theology, which is very different.
1: Yeah. So we believe that Jesus is the true Jew and those who align with him and his kingdom are grafted in. They're incorporated into Christ in a sense. They're children of Abraham. And um, the people, uh, the Essenes, used the same language of a congregation of Satan when they were writing to the Jews in Jerusalem that they were basically of Satan because they were disobeying the covenant, they weren't living according to the way God intended them to live, and they actually called the Jews in Jerusalem. A congregation of Satan
0: yeah and most of Paul stuff which is significantly earlier than this is where I pl- place it is also when you get the all Israel mm-hmm. language it's the same type of thing so when we talk about theology and the lens of theology and the biblical mm-hmm. self this is why we say the Old Testament connects to the New Testament and all of it fits the same lens because mm-hmm. this theology you don't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament from Paul to John to Peter to yep. any of that it fits the whole scope and so from our perspective when we're stepping out of denominational time or theological or doctrinal realm and we're just saying what makes the most sense this seems to fit the whole picture and that's why we land here
1: yep so the next thing that we kind of need to look at is the well. he says for this morning Jesus tells them not to fear that they're gonna face tribulation for 10 days and that their call is to be faithful unto death. So he's encouraged them to keep doing what they're doing. So my
0: interpretation would be, be faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. And when most people read that, they go right to eschatology, Mm -hmm. like, you know, okay, you're going through this like turmoil, basically, Mm -hmm. there's a pie in the sky, there's heaven, just hold on and you'll get there. Do you think that's the sense of what he's talking about?
1: No, it's not to be passive, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah. so it's, it's pistis language, it's faithfulness language, yeah. it's, it's active, it's not just a f- keep these facts affirmed and you'll be good. He's like, no, continue living this way. Jesus gave us the the definition of how to, how to do this. Look at his life and imitate it. Yeah. Is <laughs> the thing. He was the faithful witness. He's yeah. calling the church in Smyrna to continue what they're doing well and to live it out. Yep. Yeah. So So
0: this is interesting. Matt mentioned the word pistis and throughout, John uses that word 92 times. And just to, you know, kind of clarify, that's uh, P-I-S-T-I-S. And this is a slight variation of that word mm-hmm. it's OS and so when you see that he only uses that once in his gospel of John that that variation and it's really interesting I always try to connect the verb and when I connect the verb in Hebrew I end up with amen is the is the Hebrew and that's I find that in numbers 12 7 and you get this idea that it's a very concrete trust it's it also kind of goes back to this is you know kind of weird it's the Hebrew word Newem, and you see that in second Samuel Twenty-three, which is an oracle thing. It's when God says this. This is thus saith the word of the Lord type of yeah. thing. The oracle, basically, and that's the same thing that connects to this pistos. It's the it's so firm that this is. The confidence, the concrete trust, the rock steady until death. Mm -hmm. And so the words are important here that there's that slight change. in the only time we, like I said, we see that in the gospel. And it's the same word that he's connecting here. We often talked about pistis, but this is like a strong version of that word. And it's intentional that even though it's just one letter, that it's slightly changed to kind of give this concrete idea Mm -hmm. to it.
1: Yeah. So... In this section here in verse 10, the first thing talks about is don't be afraid of being cast into prison. Usually when you're cast and thrown into prison, um, it was for being disloyal to Caesar yeah. <laughs> quite yeah. often. And that's what they would have been thrown into jail for. We've yep. kind of gone through that already in this episode. But usually you'd face an unfair trial yep. and you'd die. And usually it would be pretty painful. You have a say,
0: but you really don't have you a don't. say. No,
1: no, they didn't really have justice. So. But notice it says... That the devil is the one throwing you into prison. It's not the Jews throwing you into prison. It's not the Romans throwing you into prison. But in this con like goes to the whole Deuteronomy thirty two worldview that behind these kingdoms and behind people that it's the powers are the true enemy. Our battles against flesh and isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and powers. Which goes
0: into ten days. It's really interesting. Why
1: tribulation and testing for ten days? Yeah, some People don't know what to do with this. No, there's, I, a, there's a Daniel illusion. Yeah, there. I believe it is. Yeah. A lot of scholars think the ten days is an allusion to the first chapter of Daniel, verses yeah. eleven to sixteen. So Daniel's invited to eat from the king's table, to sit at the king's table, to eat from the king's table, and that was a sign in Babylonian culture that you were in alignment with the king. Yeah.
0: So why do we take this? If you ever study a class in Revelation, it's almost always called Daniel Revelation. Yeah. And so you know they put the two together because Daniel is one of the few places in the Bible that is truly prophetic as our 20th century term wants to call that of seeing off into the future, which really wasn't what prophecy or being prophetic meant in the Old Testament. It was mm-hmm. more for that time. But that's why people like to put Daniel and Revelations together. So when we interpret it this way, it's really important to kind of take that. And what did 10 days mean? You know, putting it together in Daniel Revelation, it was a time of a purification rite of testing yep. before the Lord.
1: Yep, so these 10 days in Daniel... Um, He asked the commander there if he can have 10 days just to eat vegetables and and that um, and prove that at the end of the 10 days to be examined and say, am I healthier? Than the men who are eating from the king's table yeah
0: now there's something else really neat going on here i i just made the point of words are important yeah. and our last one pistis pistos oh, is important yeah. like he uses a word here so the the bible that normal people are still reading when oh, this it. is written is is going to be the septuagint yep. for really the last two three hundred years and he does a, a connection on the word play here which yep. is really yeah. it's telling like again like all of these words are very intentional in
1: exactly the way that he's writing. Yeah, testing and ten days, both in the Septuagint, are in are in Dan, Daniel chapter 1, and they're the same words John uses in Revelation chapter 2 here. And the point is that that Daniel has God with him in the trial, and God ultimately delivered Daniel, so God will ultimately deliver the Smyrnans. From their tribulation. It's
0: pretty cool. And yeah. so it's connecting a lot of what happened. And, mm-hmm. and this is when I call Rock, what, I go back to this when we think of faithfulness, we want to think of platonic faithfulness about mm-hmm. the future, but, yep. but what God does, and this is again, what's happening here is this isn't the way Hebraic authors wrote mm-hmm. faithfulness from a Hebraic sense was what God's already done. And so mm-hmm. this is so cool talking about God's rock steady faithfulness and go back and look at the 10 days of purification rites and testing. See how, see what God did there. Why would he do anything else with you?
1: Yep. Yeah, and we talked about being faithful unto death. It's the call to reflect Christ's faithfulness unto death yeah and that echoes back to the whole description of jesus was the one who died and came to life in his introduction to the smyrnans
0: one of the things i really like about doing these videos with matt is he's probably the most well-read person i know his library's great is i mean all this stuff and so you uh you mentioned a gregory stevenson quote
1: yeah he has an amazing book on revelation called the slaughtered lamb which really is kind of this two kingdoms point of view all the way through it very similar to michael gorman's take on it but he has a really good quote an imitation of their lord Uh, The church in Smyrna is called upon to maintain their faithful witness. Even if such witness leads to their deaths because of the victory of Christ is achieved through a witness that does not falter or fade, even in the most extreme circumstances. Yet he assures them, if they share in this part of Christ's pattern, they will also share in the remainder of that pattern. Christ's glorified resurrection, the crown of life. The seven letters transform the concept of victory. If Christ sets the pattern, then our understanding of victory must conform to Christ's own victory. Christ's own victory achieved on a cross was not a victory over his Roman oppressors or Jewish enemies, but over the power of Satan.
0: So again Matt connected a lot of the Deuteronomy 32 worldview powers here this is what happened at the cross that you know whatever view of atonement you're studying there's something that we don't quite know the whole story that mm-hmm. at the cross these kind of Christus Victor ideas these powers yeah. were overcome and when I read crown of life that's the connection that I make yeah. when I
1: see those words all the time mm-hmm. so it leads into the last verse of the text which talks about the conquer And we looked a lot last week at the word Nike and um, how Rome thought of conquering was very opposite of the way that Christ conquered. So the Smyrnans are called to conquer in the way that Christ conquered and they'll be given the crown of life. It says and they won't experience the second death. Right. Those are the things. So this crown of life was actually wasn't like a crown of diadems in it. It was it was the wreath that you got from winning a, yeah. a an athletic event or something yeah. like that. That that's the kind of crown, the victor's crown they called it. Yeah. And so it connects also back to the tree of life yes. that we've seen. And every single one of these images of what the conquerors get Um, are in Revelation, the very end of Revelation. We see all of them. Yeah. So, which is interesting.
0: So, Matt connected the tree of life here. There's, There's so much going on here with the idea, but... You think of the tree of life originally was the thing that granted life when adam and eve stepped out of the garden um this gets theological but were, did they have everlasting life not without the tree yep. and so it was the tree that granted them that and so it's also interesting that when christ is put on the cross this wreath on his head mm-hmm. the crown of the thorns, thorns and that's going to also kind of have signification in the life that comes with it when he is resurrected into that being, and then there's mm-hmm. later a tree of a tree of life that comes back into the case, yep. and so all of these things connect. And so the, signi- the s- signification of this, which is really cool, is in the same way that Christ wore this on his head in his suffering, that we might also be signified in victory in our suffering at the same time. The connection is just beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so second death he mentions then, and, and we've talked about in our hell videos a lot about second death our hell series um so the second death is found um it's not found anywhere else in the bible we don't we don't see that but we do see it in the aramaic targums so these are contemporary documents here of ways that they were interpreting scripture and the aramaic targum on deuteronomy 33 verse 6 says may reuben live in this world and may he not die a second death by which the wicked will die in the world to come.
0: So, if you're not familiar with Targums, the best way to kind of view those extra-biblical material... Like a commentary. Yeah, so it's what the people of the day would have thought about this. So this this gives us a good idea of if this is the way they were thinking of it and viewing it, then that might be a good place for us to start, if nothing else. (laughs) So,
1: Christians may have had this second death language may be thrown at them by the jews yeah. saying that they're going to experience second death but jesus is actually saying that no you're going to be saved from the second death and those who aren't part of my kingdom those who are allegiant to rome those who aren't following the way of jesus really will experience the second yeah. death final judgment so and jesus uses this to reverse um basically what is likely being thrown at that and they're actually getting the throne, the crown of life which you talked about yep. actually equals vindication through suffering yeah <laughs> and neat. so it's a, huge connection and we see um the culmination of this and at the end of revelation revelation 20 and 21 yeah
0: and again i'll just kind of tie in the lens you know we talk about a lot in our hell videos and things like that is what is the second death and you know kind of going into death is death and this is death language in the Bible and is going to complete your lens. And so I just, yeah. I always like to bring these points out because we've thought about these things a lot. Yeah. There's a ton of connection to one theological doctrine to the other or why we go this way or that way. And so when we're in a hell video talking about annihilation, all of this ties into these things. And so they're, they're all kind of grafted together. And when we read something, when we're doing a video on the church mm-hmm. and we're doing a whole nother series on hell, it's, it's circular, they all connect that way. Yeah,
1: so when we're looking at living this out, I think a good example would be Polycarp yeah and Polycarp was a end. yeah <laughs> so, uh, let's take his perspective so he might have read this down the line, yeah, um some who take the late date said that Polycarp might it may have been a baby early Christian at the time that yeah. this was written, so maybe he was one of the original recipients. We take a early view, so um, but we believe that he probably got this message and lived this message, and we see yeah. that he did, so Polycarp was um. He was the bishop of Smyrna from 115 to 155 AD.
0: So this is why that dating is important, and this is why also Matt and I kind of vary on this a little mm-hmm. bit because this is one that makes an early dating. When I say I think it was probably started being written in the mid to late 60s, Polycarp was born in 69 AD. Right? Yeah. So I mean, are we talking he's you know a kid when this a is baby. written, yeah. or maybe now I? probably say I don't think it was circularly distributed at least until the 80s so he could have been reading it as a teenager but I just Mm -hmm. want to point that out that you know in this way, like, we still go back and forth on this. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I don't know that we're... Matt and I are probably not going to yeah. figure out the answer to this until we're, like, sitting in front of Jesus having a theology class <laughs> and going, oh, now we get it, you know? But this is one of those difficulties, and I i have no problem saying it that since i take an early dating, this is one of the difficulties. Like, mm-hmm. this is one of the best reasons to go with a later dating, in yeah. my opinion.
1: I mean, Polycarp, we know um, that he probably didn't offer sacrifices to the emperor. Right. He probably subverted the empire by proclaiming Jesus as his king. And at the age of 86, he was arrested by some officers. So his whole life, he's living allegiance to Jesus, basically, yeah, and and not to Yeah, he's an old man. This is very old for this time. Right. (laughs) Like, most people, like, died very young. And he's 86. And so the story goes that when these officers came to arrest him... This is a great story, by the way. He makes them a meal. And gives them something to drink, and he asks if he can have some time to pray before he's brought in, because he likely knows he's going to his death, and so he goes off for like an hour to two hours, it says in his back room, and prays for the faithfulness to be faithful to Christ, while his captors are out there eating the the meal that he prepared for him, and then they take him away, and so he was given the chance to renounce Christ and give allegiance to the emperor, uh, but his response was this. This is a quote from him. For 86 years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Wow. And so he was, he was then threatened to be fed to the wild beast, and he says, okay, bring him on. Right. And then he's threatened to be burned alive yep. and at the stake, and he says, if that's what you must do, but I will not betray my king. So they take these sticks and they tie them up. And uh-huh. They're throwing yeah. them on the fire. And, and the, the Jews of Smyrna are the ones bringing the sticks <laughs> yeah. to burn him. And so they, they lit this fire multiple times and the wind kept blowing it out. Yeah. So eventually they just ran him through with a sword. with a sword. But yeah. Polycarp indeed heeded Jesus' call to be faithful unto yeah. death. Yeah. And he was not afraid and he received the crown of life. Great crown of life story. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah so what are some of our Although that's it's also <laughs> yeah. worthy
0: to say that that is tribulation i mean yeah
1: no, we look at the story
0: of polycarp and we go oh he lived at 86 year old and everything but what did what happened to him he died and that goes yeah. back to my view of discipleship if we're really doing it right you should know lots of people that end up dying i mean in the new testament church the chances are you probably mm-hmm. knew a handful five ten more than that today how many people do you know that actually gave their life to christ i would say personally maybe one or two if you're lucky. I don't think that's the way discipleship was supposed to live out, which comes back to this. Everything we read about this says they're doing well. And Mm -hmm. so as we get this idea of Polycarp as a Christian living in Smyrna, guess what? I think he's an example of a lot of the Christian Mm -hmm. people in Smyrna that I do believe were living out faithfully as disciples in their
1: tribulation. Yeah. So let's get into just some, maybe some conclusions, maybe ask ourselves some Some questions. I think the question that Smyrna asks us is, Are we willing to follow Jesus? Are you going to be a faithful witness to to the end? Yeah.
0: Through this persecution, are you going to be allegiant to faithful to Jesus rather than Mm -hmm. Rome, which is begging for your allegiance here, basically. Or bring it to today.
1: Are you going to be faithful to Jesus' kingdom rather than the kingdom of America? Yeah. We just had a big conversation with Keith Giles in our our last episode. Now, we don't agree with him on everything, but he has a great perspective on on the kingdom of God versus... The kingdom of America. Yep, we um, always like that about him. Uh-huh. I mean,
0: you get into individualism, consumerism, your identity, job, business, time, talent, treasures. We always talk about that thing. Maybe capitalism or politics comes into mm-hmm. this. Like we step back and we say, it looks like the Smyrna Christians were doing a pretty good job of living for the Jesus kingdom rather than the world kingdom. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah. So. Do we concentrate also too much on our physical enemies rather than spiritual powers?
0: And you guys know me, I'm a gun guy. I, I love my guns, but like, is Jesus calling the Smyrnans to get up and grab their guns, swords, whatever yeah. it might be, and go to war? Yeah. Do you get that? No,
1: Jesus never calls the Romans or um, the Jews the enemies of the Smyrnan church. He calls Satan the evil powers, <laughs> right, right. the enemy, yeah. <laughs> both times. Yeah, I mean, they're probably influenced right. by, by him, but he never calls these people that. And so in the West, you know, we don't face persecutions like, like Christians in many other places in the world. Right. Um, it's very different for us there. So we face what I call like a, you know, minor league persecutions. <laughs> so I'll just kind of finish with this. I, I've i made
0: some good friends with Pakistan Christians and I've been for the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, teaching, preaching in Pakistan and I've been talking about discipleship and you know, one of the. One of the crazy things is the first week I kind of said, if we're living like a New Testament church, this is what it looks like. And, you know, I I check back in with their pastors during the week and say, how's it going? And like in America, we hear a sermon like this and we don't change. We just keep going on doing our thing. It's really interesting in Pakistan, like their life changed. Like, in fact, I'm not sure that like not everybody in that church isn't going to go start selling all of their possessions, changing their job completely living out first century discipleship because they think differently even today in third world countries than what we think Mm -hmm. in our American consumerism.
1: Yeah. And so the call to the Smyrnans and the call to us today, it was written to them, but we can see what, what of this do we need to apply to us today is where, where are we entangled? How can we become more like the Smyrnans and really live out true faithful witness discipling the pattern of Christ, he praises the Smyrnans for doing this. They were yeah. they were suffering. Yeah. Are we too into our health and wealth consumeristic, individualistic, capitalistic mindset of being Americans, or we might call ourselves Christian Amer Americans or American Christians, but Christian is a horrible adjective. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so certainly.
0: I started this off kind of poking fun at health and wealth because
1: mm-hmm. this is exactly the
0: opposite message. Yes, this, this is tribulation all the way through, and at least Paul uses the word joy sometimes. Uh-huh. We don't necessarily get this. We get uh-huh. the crown of life, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean joy. In fact, it might mean the opposite. Usually by the time a Olympian got to the podium where he got the crown of life, they've exerted themselves. <laughs> they're almost dead. Uh-huh. May God bless you and keep you. <laughs>